Pharmaceuticals have historically exploited fear of symptoms to sell what I would call temporary solutions for permanent problems. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Eric. He is a strategic director at AKQA and passionate about customer experience and product design in healthcare, mobility and omnichannel retail. Eric had led various lives from performing artist to product manager, commercial photographer to consultant. Currently, he is focused on making brands iconic by becoming irreplaceable and indispensable. In this episode, Eric had shared great insights on customer experience for healthcare where we had discussed on what exactly is customer experience and why does customer experience in healthcare matter later that we spoke on how does seamless and hyper personalization work in healthcare what are the various ways of improving the customer experience in our healthcare leveraging the various data especially considering the situations like pandemic in the end we spoke on various methods to measure the success or failure metrics of customer experience and how do we craft a customer experience for healthcare considering the accessibility and inclusive point of you hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi, Eric. Welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to get started. So, Eric, how's your day going? Uh, it's well. Sun's shining. Uh, it is 10 a.m. here in New York. Um, so, I my day's just started, and it's great to kick off uh, Thursday um, with no work and then just talking about design, one of my favorite uh, topics. So, great to join you here. That's wonderful, Eric. So, Eric, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Absolutely. So, uh, my name is Eric Hu. I'm the strategy director here at AKQA. Um, I belong to the DC office, um, and I've been in design, let's say, as a career track for about um, six, seven years now. Um, I, I wasn't always in design, so I actually started out as a violinist um, when I was at NYU uh, in college, um, and I made the transition over to let's call it product management and, and eventually advertising and the agency world. Wow. But I've since shifted in the last three or four years to something we call customer experience strategy um, or engagement strategy. Um, so now today I, I focus primarily on healthcare clients um, and clients within the healthcare space. Um, so hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about what design looks like um, when it comes to the delivery of care. That's wonderful, Eric. So what was your journey into design and how did you start? And what are your tips to the beginners on how to start? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, I started out as a violinist, right? And I always say, you know, I, I was a performer first um, before I was a marketer. Um, and, you know, when I think about what it means to be a violinist, it's really, it's really thinking about uh, how you make spaces work for you. Um, so when I think about design today, it's full 360. Um, I grew up thinking about, you know, if I'm going into a church, if I'm going to play at a, uh, a place like Carnegie Hall, how does the sound actually impact the way that my musicianship projects? Um, today, it's very different. Today, I think about, you know, the design of products and services and how does an ecosystem of communications work together to create a holistic uh, brand promise and brand performance. Uh, my journey sort of took me in, in a weird path, right? And when I was a violinist in school at NYU, I had to figure out how to help 
pay for tuition. And it led me down a path of a lot of startups and early ventures. Um, those were the only companies at the time in the New York startup scene that would hire me, someone that was young, driven, energetic, but didn't have a lot of experience. And I think startups are a great place for young people to kind of figure out their footing in virtually any industry, right? And the greatest thing about startups is they demand you to work on more than just what's in your comfort zone. And they need that from every person. They need that sort of malleability. And working at financial services startups and video editing software startups, I was able to work at the ground level and really understand what was the customer asking of us as a business to adopt and evolve over time to meet the customer needs. And I think that's a through line that I've learned to appreciate over the course of my career so far and really took me through um, whether it was answering briefs as a social strategist, as a brand strategist, and then even today as customer experience strategist, really looking through the lens of what does the customer need and how does it translate into something that the brand can offer? That's wonderful, Eric. So what are your tips to the beginners out there? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I think the first step is, you know, if you're unsure of where you fit in into the world of design, I think startups are a great place to kind of get your hands dirty and, and really dive deeply into just any industry. And I think one of the hardest things for people, especially in strategy or design to figure out is what are my hard skills, right? Unlike software developers, unlike painters, unlike doctors, it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly you do or what your output is. And only working at a smaller company can you actually see your tangible impact. And I'll give you a little taste of, you know, the kinds of agencies I've worked on, um, just to kind of shape the tips that I give, right? I worked on a $2 billion automotive startup at a small agency in LA called Anomaly. I later worked on huge retail environments and website and app designs for Code and Theory um, on the Adidas account, right? And this was everything from product launch to ecosystem mapping, wearables and experimental products. I think throughout those two different experiences, you have a small company and a massive multinational corporation. In both cases, I think one tip I have for younger people pursuing a career in design is one, really keeping track of what are the skill sets you want to deliver and develop, and then what are the tangible impacts you would like to have on industry, right? And it helps you pinpoint which industries do you want to work on? Which brands do you think are valuable and iconic that you would like to touch at some point? And how would you like to imbue purpose into your day-to-day, -day, right? And I think it wasn't until I joined an agency called Havas, where I worked on pharmaceutical clients, that I really found my true calling, which is how do I apply design, specifically experience design and customer experience, um, into the design of healthcare products? How do I help people better access uh, the medications and treatments that they need? And so there, that's another thing that I recommend for people to think about is, what does purpose look like to you in your career? Thank you so much, Eric, for these great tips. So let's begin our episode today with customer experience for healthcare. So what exactly is customer experience and why does customer experience in healthcare matters? Absolutely. When we're in an agency setting, working on healthcare and customer experience in healthcare, it really is all about advocating for customer motivations and enabling critical needs, right? So really paying attention and listening to the sensitivity around the healthcare needs of patients, the healthcare needs of doctors and healthcare providers, and translating those into action insights that a brand can act on. I think when you look around any industry, especially healthcare, one that's resistant to change, resistant to innovation, and resistant to, uh, honestly, even sometimes disruption, where AI and robotics and process automation are really taking hold and rapidly being integrated, there's a migration from what are we making or what are we helping our customers do to the future, which is instead, how do we make people feel? So customer experience is really making sure that not only are we providing value in a tangible way, but we're also reassuring uh, and imbuing confidence and trust in the customer relationship between the brand and patient. 
Thank you so much, Eric. So how does this seamless and hyper-personalization work in healthcare as these are like very complex systems? Absolutely. There are so many restrictions when it comes to healthcare, whether it's marketing, design, communications. You you have to be, at least in stateside, you have to be HIPAA compliant. You you have to design your digital properties with accessibility in mind. Um, But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bench that for just one second. I think you touched on something interesting, right? This idea of seamless and this idea of hyper-personalization. We were, we were doing focus groups just the other day. And, you know, one quote that stuck out to me was, you know, one of our potential patients said, look, if hers has a product that's better for me than him's, I'll go to hers. I just want what's best for me. I think we've never been faced with more choices in our lives, especially when it comes to healthcare. Consumers have more responsibility and choice than ever before, right? Yet the vast majority of them are still dissatisfied with their experiences, specifically those who have more frequent interaction with healthcare institutions, right? So if you have comorbidities or chronic disorders, right, it it probably means that you have a higher rate of dissatisfaction with whatever experience you're going through. When we think of improving healthcare customer experience, uh, leveraging things like data, you know, hyper-personalization is less so about how do we create this customized experience but how do we make sure that the customer feels like whatever experience we're putting in front of them is right for them? It's one that's been vetted and it's one that is less reactive, but rather more proactive. Something that we always hear from patients is they want a system that looks out for their blind spots. So to answer your question more succinctly, seamless and hyper-personalization, at least in healthcare, isn't so much a nice to have, but it's a need to have. And it really starts with paying attention to the sensitivities around what are the specific pain points and barriers that our patients are telling us about right now. Thank you, Eric. So what are the various ways of improving the healthcare customer experience and leveraging the data, especially considering the situations like this pandemic? Uh, Yeah, the the pandemic's huge, but I think the pandemic's actually been, um, you know, not to make light of the situation, but the pandemic has actually helped awaken the healthcare industry and the landscape as a whole. And it's it's not new, right? We've seen DTC champions um, really picking up the slack where legacy institutions have left off, right? So I mentioned HIMSS, I mentioned HERS. There's also Roman, there's Virtuel, there's Lemonade. There are all these new brands that are noticing that healthcare has been well, simply put, broken, right? And when you look at you know measuring for success and you think of any other category, there are many, many champions that we already know, right? Just to name a few, you could think of transportation, right? And you think of Uber. When you think of retail, you think Amazon. When you think search, you think Google, right? And so on and so forth. Uh, these days, champions, cus- customer experience-driven companies that do well, they are champions that are not judged only on how beloved they are, but how irreplaceable and dispensable they are in the customer's life. So improving healthcare really looks like focusing on the customer needs first and then judging them against the priority business needs, right? And I bring up other brands like Nike and I bring up Airbnb, I bring up Spotify because these brands are all truly champions that understand what it means to do customer experience design right. And when you think of all these brands, they're ubiquitous in our lives, but there's no equivalent in healthcare. Right. There's none in pharmaceuticals, none in medical institutions, none in health insurance. At best, customers see through our logos. At worst, they have a disdain for them. And, and, and how can we blame them? Right. Pharmaceuticals have historically exploited fear of symptoms to sell what I would call temporary solutions for permanent problems. And I think we need to shift that paradigm, right? We need to understand, again, like I said, the sensitivities and the nuances around customer pain points and really say, how do we backtrack that to 
creating a, a vision for customers, customer-centric companies to understand where are we right now? What are the ways that we are broken and how do we advance to solve those problems in the long term? I know that's a pretty high level overview of it, but it really is a wake up call. And I think the pandemic has forced companies to really drill deeper into what are their belief systems? What are their ethos? Uh, and how can they actually shift from you know communicating around brand promise and actually start to act towards brand performance? Wonderful, Eric. So how do we measure these success and failure metrics of a consumer experience? Yeah, customer satisfaction is just one measure, right? And there's always the net promoter score that you could look at. But I think one thing that you know, I focus on is I think when it comes to healthcare, we all universally have a few major pain points that we understand, right? One, can we shorten the distance between the point of care and where the patient is right now, right? So this whole idea of skipping the waiting room, and I think something that's been amazing uh, is at least, again, stateside, which is where I have most of my understanding, um, is this shift towards value-based care. So not necessarily how many times do you see a doctor or how many medications do you receive or how many prescriptions do you fill, but actually how successful is the medication or treatment, right? right? More visits to the doctor is not necessarily a good thing. In fact, most people would agree that they want to see the doctor less. They want to know that their health is being maintained. So in this case, instead of, you know, for example, an Adidas, it's not so much about selling a product or having them even like the product. It's making sure that the product is doing what it was intended. So that means helping doctors focus on instead of processes and backend uh, administration, spending more time, more quality time involved in the patient's nuanced needs. And there are numerous ways to do that. Um, but step one is understanding the power of something like telehealth, which is not necessarily the power of care in your home, but rather the idea that you could receive care wherever you are in the world, right? And I think the first thing that I noticed about the pandemic is that it's the future of work uh, means that we can work from anywhere. We're always remote. So what if I told you that you could have the best care in the world from any trusted medical institution, whether you're in India, whether you're in Tokyo, whether you're in Los Angeles, whether you're in Sao Paulo, it shouldn't matter. And that starts with understanding that we need to provide better broadband access so that healthcare can be equivalent wherever you are in the world, um, understanding how to solve for low-income housing so that we can solve for food desert at a nutritional level. How can healthcare be involved there? And then how can healthcare also track things like uh, your sleep patterns, your mood, your productivity, right? Your stress levels, right? Can we provide cheaper, more affordable, more connected mental health care? And I think by tracking those kinds of metrics, right? Just from an access standpoint, we have a better understanding of who are the minority segments that we need to better serve and take all the best practices we have from the majority audience segments. And again, distribute them more evenly across the board. Thank you so much, Eric. So how do we craft these customer experiences for healthcare considering the accessibility and inclusive point of view? Yeah, exactly. That's that's something I you know just begun to touch on. I think w- when we look at, for example, in America, you know, the black healthcare experience, that's something that we've been talking about for a long time now, right? For some reason, there's this assumption that black skin is more durable or black skin doesn't feel pain the same way. And that's just one example of inequity in healthcare. I think it starts with, first of all, we have to simplify complex. Healthcare is complicated and healthcare is complicated for many, many reasons. Um, And only one of them is this idea of opaque pricing, not truly understanding the inner workings of healthcare 
we need to be more transparent and we need to show customers why are certain things priced certain ways and how are we distributing certain treatments to certain populations, whereas we choose something else for others, right? Being able to have a better connection with our customers and have them understand, just as doctors and nurses understand the medical process, it serves everyone when we have a more educated consumer base. And not only more educated, but we need them to feel like we are proactively understanding their needs before they do, right? We shouldn't put all the onus on the customer to figure out how to receive the right treatment and the right care. In America, if you have diabetes and you're in a low-income household, chances are you've contemplated crossing the border to Canada to receive insulin. Why? Because insulin in Canada is so much cheaper than it is here at the stateside. So the first thing is thinking about, well, accessibility doesn't necessarily just mean that our website design is going to cater to your language requirements or cater to maybe people who are colorblind or visibly impaired. Uh, but it's also making sure that the infrastructure around healthcare is going to serve the weakest link in our system. And it's only when healthcare can design for those who have the least that we can actually understand how to provide for those who have the most. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing all these great insights. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like and any interesting stories that you could point out to? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm in a much better spot now that I'm at AKQA. I think, you know, I have so many interesting projects that I'm working on right now. I can't name any names, but I am currently in the process of helping launch one of the largest omni-channel health marketplaces in the world. Um, I'm building out what, what our client CEO calls the Internet of Healthcare. Um, and I'm also supporting one of the largest integrated care networks in America, right? So across all three uh, projects, I'm really learning so much about not only the healthcare industry itself, but I'm also understanding what does the future of customer experience look like? And what does customer experience look like, um, or at least design for customer experience look like in a traditional agency setting? And I think something that I've really enjoyed in my day to day is working with people who come from various different backgrounds, right? So I work with medical directors, I work with brand planners and art directors and Copywriters. And these are people with, you know, backgrounds that don't remotely look like mine. And so we're talking about Super Bowl ads. We're talking about, you know, retargeting. Um, but at the same time, we're also talking about how do we design for a more uh, seamless or integrated care delivery system, right? How do we design for screens that honestly we don't use on our, our day-to-day basis? So it's a lot of swapping stories with people that, you know, I may not have had the chance to come across um, previously. Um, but it's also understanding that, you know, I think part of joining the AKQA network for me has been a better appreciation for each individual client. And I think, you know, in a past life, I was a freelancer. I was also a commercial photographer and it was always running around, you know, doing cross country road trips, shooting for a brand like Mercedes Benz, for example, um, or joining a pitch that's a four day sprint and the pitch is at midnight because the clients in China, um, you know, I think it's, it's a much calmer experience now. And I think, uh, you know, my day to day today sounds a lot more like what work should be a more comfortable, more balanced work life. Thank you so much, Eric. So we'll conclude this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. I, I think anyone who uh, listens to the Ezra Klein show, um, he's now part of the New York Times. He, he always asks this question as well. And I always think about it because, I, and I feel bad because I don't I don't get to read as many books as I would like. You know, I, I think um, it, it's just something that requires a lot of patience and requires a lot of deep uh, attention and intention. Um, so instead, I, I read a lot of articles and I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm at the gym or biking, for example. Um, so I actually, I'll, I'll shift my answer. Um, and I'll actually say, again, the Ezra Klein show is amazing for 
people who want to better understand how to listen to points of view that they disagree with. And I think that's really important for designers to keep track of, right? I think it's uh, it's also great to listen to Adam yeah. Grant. And he talks about organizational psychology and, and really how do you maneuver the workplace um, so that the workplace can work for you, right? And I also listen a lot to the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. I think those are two individuals that have honestly, just a great candor. And they have a great way of presenting uh, their findings in terms of business, in terms of news, politics, what have you, um, data privacy, for example. Um, so so that was a that's a combination of people that I admire and, and media that I'm interested in. Um, but if I had to recommend three books that I've read in the past, I would say Ishmael by Daniel Quinn um, really challenges the way that we think about the design of the human race. Right. So evolution over time. What are the assumptions that humans have made about the world around them and how can we work to deconstruct them? Um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. So the story of Nike and its founder. Right. I'll put it this way. If the founder of Nike could have been so lost in life for so long long and still have ended up creating one of the most beloved irreplaceable brands known to man you know that gives me faith in my own career and i hope that gives you know some others faith as well um and the last one i'll end with is a little controversial it's called the fountainhead by ayn rand and i think the fountainhead really taught me um, to trust my gut to really understand maybe not her principles of objectivism or individualism but really understanding you know, where's the balance between being a people pleaser and being someone who really has a deep understanding and expertise and, a, and an opinion on what is right in the world? Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that book is really controversial. I don't feel the need to get into them, but I really urge people to look past the author and just take a crack. It's, it's a short read and it's a really enjoyable one. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with those recommendations. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing all these great insights. We're looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Absolutely, Tash. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much.